The voice of Motown, West Virginia's leader in news, analysis, and rumors, proudly presents the Voice of Motown podcast, featuring your boys, Brandon and Tyler. Take it away, gentlemen. All right, this is the Voice of Motown podcast. I'm Tyler Peppy. And I'm Brandon Cork, and this is the WVU Sports Podcast by two suffering WVU fans. Hey guys, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, Voice of Motown Podcast. We're trying to get those numbers up, so we would greatly appreciate the support. And there's just so much to talk about tonight. WVU parting ways with Shane Lyons, WVU's win over Oklahoma, and of course, Garrett Green's performance in that game. Uh, We'll discuss Neil Brown and Jordan Leslie. Are they off the hot seat? Are they still on it? The K-State game this Saturday, and then we'll finish it off with some WVU basketball. So we'll start off, of course, with the firing of Shane Lyons. That news broke today. And Brandon, I'll let you uh, start us off. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I was kind of shocked that um, it came without any sort of really murmurings. I know um, before the game, ESPN was reporting that um, both Shane Lyons and Neil Brown jobs were on the line based on, you know, different discussions that they had, but all the indications and all the the rumors and everything else seemed to indicate that, you know, um, Neil Brown's job was on the line, but uh, Shane Lyons wasn't really in the crosshairs. Now I think a lot of fans kind of expected him to be after that extension, but um, you know, I think if you kind of look at the way this season is went in the way that he has handled Neil Brown and um some of the things that I've read today about how he's handled the basketball program, it all kind of makes sense. And honestly, I think this is the best bet for WVU moving forward. Um, the key thing is, in my opinion, is finding someone fast. Yeah, I'm 100% with you. And um, of course, a lot of fans are happy with this move. And I, I'll admit, I'm one of them. And I do like it because if Neil Brown is let go at the end of the year, or if he's let go next year, Of course, we want a new AD to pick a new head coach because if Shane Lyons is still there and hires the next head coach, that means Shane Lyons is going to be here for a very long time. And um, as you were just alluding to, I I feel like his tenure here is uh, a little spotty, so I'm okay with us letting him go. And of course, it all goes back to that extension. I I don't think anybody is faulting Shane Lyons for hiring Neil Brown to begin with. Um, I know I've seen people online saying they didn't like the hiring even from the beginning, and I believe them. I'm not saying they're lying. Um, However, I think that was an opinion that was in the minority. I feel like most people were okay when Neil Brown got hired here at West Virginia. He was coming off of a fantastic run at Troy. I think he was 3-0 in bowl games while he was there. Um, His resume was not bad. What ruined Shane Lyons' tenure again, was that extension prior to the 2021 season. At that time, Neil was only 11 and 11 at West Virginia, and he was signed prior to that extension until the 2024 season. Um, So it seemed a little unnecessary. I've heard guys like um, Tony Caridi, Coach Hunter on Sportsline, they said that, um, you know, the AD in that situation has to extend a coach because otherwise other programs will use it against West Virginia when 
when they're recruiting people, they'll say that coach isn't even going to be there for your whole four years. Um, so I kind of get that. However, the problem wasn't so much the extension. It was the amount and the guaranteed money. Um, obviously, $4 million a year is not too bad. But um, I, I feel like if Shane Lyons was a better businessman, he could have figured out a way for that contract not to be fully guaranteed, which is our biggest issue with the contract right now. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, in a vacuum, I don't think the contract extension, as bad as it was, is something that is necessarily fireable on its own. Um, I, I think it's a culmination of, of different things. You know, I, I think if you recognize that, that that was a bad extension, then you own it and you rally the troops to, to get that buyout in place and you make the decision at the appropriate time. Um, it seems like as this season has dragged on, um, he has continued to give neil brown a longer and longer leash um i've also read today that under his tenure the mac donations have dropped significantly just because people either don't like him or he's not spending enough time trying to get that money in which also hurts with that buyout so you know while the contract is bad on its own it's just a kind of um avalanche of things that are snowballing downhill for him that are catching up with him because he's not doing the right things and putting West Virginia's interests, um, you know, as far as priority, it seems like he's more trying to cover his own back um, throughout this past year or so, as opposed to saying, you know, I screwed up, I made the mistake, I'll fix it. And, you know, if you're, you know, you, that that's the type of person you want in the AD office, though. You want someone who's willing to own it and make that pivot. I mean, um, I think you even saw it in, in some ways with Oliver Luck, where he kind of realized that, the head coach and waiting thing probably didn't work out best. He gave too much control to Dana Holgerson. He helped him, you know, get the right people in, in, in place, um, get Joe DeForest out of there, all those other sorts of things, um, you know, and it, it helped. I mean, it helped Holgerson out a lot. Obviously, Holgerson wasn't per- perfect, but, you know, it, it takes a really great AD who's able to do that. And I think it's going to be crucial for WVU to hire someone who is ha- either has some experience or really has – um, you know, a different way of thinking um, as the new AD. And th- there's some really interesting names that are being floated around. I know, um, you know, just off the top of my head, you have Whit, Whit Babcock, who's at uh, Virginia Tech, Rob Mullins, Oliver Luck again, um, Kelly Zinn, who was the associate athletic director and is now at LSU in the same role. Um, but of those names, you know, I, I, I don't really like Whit Babcock um, just because it doesn't seem like VT is really doing much. Um, but Oliver Luck and Rob Mullins are two guys that would um, entice me on if they were brought in just because Mullins has a tremendous tenure at Oregon. He's a West Virginia native, graduated from here, and Oliver Luck really helped us get into the Big 12 and did a lot of great things whenever it was a tumultuous time here at WVU. So um, there may be more names that come out of the woodwork, but those are the top four right now that a lot of people are talking about. Yeah, I've heard those names get floated around and, it, you know, it will be interesting to see what happens in the next week or two, because I'm sure by the next time we record, there's going to be even more rumors floating around about who could be the replacement. And uh, I will be interested to to hear who it is, because once we know who it is, then we can start debating whether Neil Brown's going to get another year, whether that that person's going to want to bring in their own head coach, which most ADs do nowadays. That just seems to be how it works. 
So uh, stay tuned, guys. There's going to be a lot of interesting things happening in Morgantown in the next couple of weeks. For sure. Yeah. All right, guys. But um, to to some really good news that happened over the weekend, uh, West Virginia's first win over Oklahoma since joining the Big 12. The Mountaineers won 23-20 to with a walk-off field goal from the ever-consistent Casey Leg. This was a fun game to attend. Brandon and myself were both there. We enjoyed every minute of it, even in the rain. Um, it helps when you win to sit through that. But possibly just as exciting as the victory was seeing the emergence of quarterback Garrett Green. Um, the Mountaineers, they don't win that game without his terrific performance. Um, I, I don't even think you can debate that. So what are your thoughts on the exciting victory? Yeah, I mean, the first half was extremely rough to watch. I know, um, you know, just sitting in the stands kind of it, it felt like um, people were unmotivated um, for WVU. Um, the fans were, I mean, if you look at the fans at the beginning of the game versus the fans that stayed after halftime, I mean, the stadium was almost half full, um, after halftime, which was kind of sad. I mean, obviously the weather plays into that a little bit, but, um, you know, you, you could kind of feel the energy being drained. And I feel like when Garrett Green went in there and just provided a spark with his legs, I mean, maybe he wasn't necessarily doing what Neil Brown wanted him to do. Um, as far as play design is concerned, but he came in there and he made plays. He moved the ball. Um, he figured out ways to counter what Oklahoma was trying to throw at us defensively. And, you know, he had, he ended up accounting for three touchdowns, which is huge. And that was really the difference in the game because in the first half with JT Daniels out there in the offense that we've seen for the past, you know, seven or eight weeks or so, it just wasn't working. And Oklahoma knew what was coming and JT Daniels, was off again. I know there were several passes where the ball just sailed on him. Um, so, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily a condemnation of JT Daniels, you know, it may be an injury, maybe he's checked out, but Garrett green was really the hero and the MVP of the game easily on Saturday. Yeah. 100%. Um, first off, before we gush all over Garrett green's performance, hats off to the defense. Um, they, they have just had, I would say about 10 straight really good quarters, um, which I don't think we had ever thought saying that watching their um, performance in the first half of the season. But in quarters, you certainly can't blame our defense for anything that, that has happened. And that's pretty amazing. It just proves that yards don't mean anything because Gray for Oklahoma had 211 rushing yards, two touchdowns and averaged almost eight and a half yards a carry. However, the defense Oklahoma is 20 points. So, I mean, all those yards don't mean much if you're not. And hats off to Neil Brown. We criticized him a lot, but he had a gutsy fake punt call where, um, you know, it didn't even look like it was going to work, but Sam James made a heck of a play. So hats off to the defense and Neil Brown. But like you were saying, um, the hero of this game, the story of the game is Garrett Green. He had 138 passing yards, 119 rushing yards, three touchdowns, and was sacked zero times. Just to show how important his performance was, W team doesn't even eclipse 100 rushing yards without his rushing stats. And they ended with over 200 rushing yards as a team. It just shows how important his one individual performance was. 
And yeah, unfortunately, JT just did again. Seven for 12, six yards. Um, and a lot of the yards, about half of them came on one play. Interception was sacked twice. Um, the offense has just been lifeless with him in there. And just to compare him with Green, Garrett Green had as many passing yards in just a little over two quarters as Daniels has had in the last six quarters that he's been on the football field. (laughs) I think um, Daniels only has like 10 more yards than Green has over that time. Uh, So that's kind of crazy when you see that on paper. But the quarterback situation shouldn't even be in question. Um, So think about that because Neil Brown's comments in the press conference were obviously I I think he's just bluffing but he basically said that he was gonna JT and Garrett out there next game I think he's just saying that to make K-State game plan for both um at least that's what I'm hoping (laughs) yeah I mean and even in the post-game press conference he was very kind of un you know, praiseworthy, if that's the right word for uh, Garrett, too. And it's, you know, just a strange situation. But we'll talk about that, I think, a little bit later. But, you know, with Garrett, you know, I think what he brings to the table is, you know, that um, dynamic running ability and the ability to improvise whenever a play is breaking down. And we've talked about this numerous times before. West Virginia's receivers just aren't getting separation. And we do run kind of a lot of the same routes and concepts over and over again. Um and defenses can kind of key in on that. On top of that, you know, our rushing running game isn't going so hot. I mean, right now it's Justin Johnson and a whole bunch of guys who haven't really played yet. And I, I think it's a little unfair to kind of give Justin Johnson um, or put it all on Justin Johnson for why the run game is not um, working. I mean, it's just a combination of things with that. But, you know, w- with Garrett, I feel like, you know, he's able to, um, create plays even when the defense is doing what it's trying to do. And that's something that JT Daniels just couldn't do. Um, and that's, again, no slight on on JT. I still think he's a good quarterback. But, you know, I think the past few weeks we've seen that something's going on with him. Um, you know, if you had to put two in a vacuum where you say, would you rather have Garrett Green at full health, um, knowing what he can do versus JT Daniels at full health, you know, in the right mindset, who would you take? I'd probably take JT Daniels because I think talent-wise, the way that he thinks about the game, he's probably a better quarterback. But I think when you throw in the variables, which are the offense that we run, the coaching staff, um, you know, the questionable health and, you know, I guess how checked in JT Daniels is, Garrett Green's just the right guy to have out there. And it's kind of frustrating to see that he hasn't earned the right to – start next game um, given that JT hasn't really earned it. And it's also kind of frustrating that after that, you know, second half touchdown or first half touchdown drive that um, Garrett green led against Oklahoma, they still trotted out JT Daniels to start at the second quarter. Um, It seemed like regardless of what Garrett did, he really had to make no doubt that he should be out there over JT Daniels in that Oklahoma game. And I, I think as a fan, that was super frustrating because, you know, 30,000 people or whatever was left in the stadium saw that Garrett Green was moving the offense and JT Daniels just couldn't get it done. Um, and regardless of who the best talent is, when healthy, whenever all variables were removed, during game time, you have to play the guy who's working. And Garrett was that guy. Yeah. 
To be fair, once Garrett Green scored, he played the rest of the game. But he did come out and have drive, which I wanted to talk about here in a second. Uh, but going AT, I do feel bad for AT. And if he's hurt, that's unfortunate. Um, you know, he's had injury problems his whole career. It's well documented. But whether he's or hurt, um, you know, you can't deny it. He has negatively impacted this football team. And Neil needs to hand the offense over to someone else. It, it shouldn't have taken long to realize this. JT has looked off, uh, to me, ever since the Townsend game. Um, just hasn't looked himself. Bad placement, bad decisions. And if you're a quarterback who relies primarily on his passing skills, because we all know JT is not a runner, then those are problems you just can't mask um, because you're just a pocket passer. So I don't believe he should have been pulled early this season, obviously. I mean, the pit loss wasn't his fault. The Kansas loss wasn't his fault. Um, so I don't feel like I'm being unreasonable, but his performances against Texas, uh, Baylor, TCU, they were okay. They weren't great, but they weren't terrible. But without question, JT should not have played in the second half against Iowa State. Um, you know, you could tell he just wasn't getting out of that funk. Neil Brown makes $4 million a year to make these decisions. That Iowa State game was winnable, I thought, in the second half. It was a three-point game to start the third quarter. And instead of, you know, possibly sitting at five and five right now, say they put Green in in that second half rally to win, now they're sitting at four and six, and it looks very unlikely to make a bowl game. And that's because of Neil's reluctance to bench starters. Um, you know, he just doesn't do it very often. And, you know, we he didn't even want to leave Green in. You just alluded to it. Green had the best drive for WVU's offense up to that point when he first put Green in. He went like 50 yards, and they had to punt from Oklahoma's 40. Not a bad drive. We won the field position battle there. And then he puts JT right back in the next drive. And yeah, then I think JT I goes, <laughs> Yeah. And, and then he goes three and out. I, I'm pretty sure if memory serves correct, mm -hmm. it, it just made no sense. And then once he put green in, we score right before the half. Um, plus green fits. Here's the thing. Green fits Neil's philosophy better than JT does. That's why I don't understand why he's so reluctant to play him. Neil wants to control time of possession. He wants these long, drawn-out drives. Um, and, and, you know, that's an offense that normally runs a lot. Well, if you got Garrett Green out there, you are running the ball more than passing it. It seems like most of the time when they have JT out there, they want to pass more than run. It doesn't even fit Neil's philosophy. So I don't understand why he's been so reluctant to just you know, give green a run these past two years. Yeah, honestly, I, I think it has to do with kind of how he is as a, as a coach and as a person, I, I think he's kind of a control freak. I think if you look at the things that he complains about with Garrett green, it's that he doesn't do Garrett doesn't do what Neil Brown wants the offense to do on that play. So if, you know, it's supposed to be a slant route on the first read and the second read is a, you know, a, I don't know, an in route or something, you know, you make one of those two reads. It seems like, you know, green, he just kind of makes a read. And if he doesn't like what he sees, he runs. And until defenses stop that, I mean, I, I think that's per perfectly feasible, especially when the calls that you're playing aren't working. Um, and we've seen it too, with kind of his player selection, especially when he 
prefers to play some of these super seniors, the transfers that have come in from FC and whatnot over some of these younger guys. I mean, from a talent perspective, some of these younger guys may be better performers, but he can trust these older seniors are going to do what he's expecting them to do. And you can see which players he's choosing to play. It's the ones that he can trust. The ones that he knows are going to play within his system, within his walls. And if they don't play within his walls, then he's going to single them out. He's going to call them out. He's not going to put them on the field. He's going to put them in his doghouse. And, you know, you just have to play by Neil's rules. And I don't think that's a, a winning head coach thing. I mean, um, good head coaches scheme to get their best players in successful positions. And Neil Brown just gets in all of his players way. I think you nailed it. And I think that's a good way of putting it. Um, he is kind of hurting their performance because he's not letting athletes just go out there and be athletes. He, he just wants a bunch of like average players to just run the playbook, which, Hey, if that's been working, I'm all for it. But the thing is we've had three years of horrible offense. And then we had this year, which for the most part, the offense has been good, but we've also had just horrible performances like against Iowa state and Texas tech. So it's not consistent and you're absolutely right. It seems like Neil Brown would rather green throw a six yard stop route than to scramble out of a broken play and pick up 15 yards just because that's what Neil Brown drew up. And I don't know. He just does seem like a control freak. I I think you nailed it. Um, But uh, you know, you mentioned it earlier. I I think it's worth discussing Neil Brown's strange treatment of Garrett green for whatever reason, Neil seems very hesitant to not only, you know, not play Garrett, but to even praise him. We can go back to the Townsend game. Neil praised every single quarterback after that game. Besides Garrett, he had nice things to say about JT goose and Nico and he didn't say one good thing about Garrett, even though all four quarterbacks had a pretty nice day. Then after Garrett Green puts on the performance he did against Oklahoma, I mean, you should be gushing over a performance like that. He basically said, yeah, Garrett had a nice performance, but he made mistakes. Like, for whatever reason, Garrett Green cannot get in his good graces, and it it just – it does seem odd. It does seem like he treats him differently than everyone else, and I don't – know why i i don't get it garrett green had all three wvu touchdowns that game um and, and he just won't give garrett his due you know am i imagining this does does the audience notice this i know you notice it brandon what's going on with oh that? yeah it's it's really strange i mean especially when you know i don't know if it's something maybe it's a a coaching thing that he notices with green that he plays better whenever he doesn't give him praise I don't know if that's it, but I mean, it feels like a good way to either, you know, run someone out of town or just beat them down until they don't want to be a quarterback anymore. Maybe that's the plan is, you know, get him to, you know, encourage to move to like another position, but you know, he, he's still second on the depth chart and he's obviously there for a reason. Um, and whether that's Graham Harrell, who's putting them there or, or someone else, um, you know, and Neil's kind of stuck with putting him there. Um, so I, I don't know why, He's so critical of him. I don't know why he's trying to change him. I mean, I think Garrett can be successful doing what he does. Now, is it necessarily the, uh, uh, is he necessarily a quarterback who's going to go out there and win you, you know, 10 or 11 games playing that style whenever teams can game plan for it and, you know, try to take that away and make him play within more structure. 
We don't know. But again, we haven't seen that. You know, teams haven't really been able to game plan for it. And this goes back to last year when Deggy was just awful. You know, maybe if Garrett Green would have played more then, we would have known, hey, whenever teams are able to scheme for Garrett Green, what else can he do? And then how can he grow from that? Because right now we just know that he's a great runner and that's all we'll ever know him for just because of the way that they play him. And the first time that he struggles because teams figure out a way to take away his strength, which is his um, athleticism, you know, WVU fans are probably going to come down on him pretty hard and call for Nico or Crowder or whatever, not, but it's not necessarily fair to him because he never really had the chance to make those mistakes. And that's on Neil Brown. And, you know, he's, he he's criticizing him for doing what he does best and not giving him opportunities to do the things that Neil wants him to do. Yeah. Yeah. And by all accounts from reporters, from players, these past two seasons, everyone has just praised Garrett for being a fantastic teammate, never complaining about these quarterback situations. From what I heard him and Daigie got along in the locker room. Seems like him and JT get along in the locker room. So it's not like he's a bad teammate and that's rubbing Neil the wrong way. By all accounts, it seems like he works hard and he just does whatever is expected of him. So it's just really head scratching why he gets different treatment. At least that's what it seems like on the outside looking in. Um, but yeah. after, yeah. go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, the only other thing I can think of in regards to the situation is, you know, I remember before JT Daniels came to West Virginia or even committed to West Virginia, when they were talking in spring about the QB battle, um, you know, Neil Brown would just always harp on how he needs to be more careful with the ball and how he needs to make better decisions to protect the ball more. But um, I get that, but you know, you got to let him play in the way that he's most comfortable. And I, I think he was trying to, to box in someone who has a special talent and, it's kind of like a battle of wits is, you know, who's going to win the one who's trying to build the box or Garrett, who's trying to do what he does best and just live free. So um, right now, I I think with the pressure that Neil's facing, he's going to have to let him out and, you know, live and die by what Garrett does out there. And if he doesn't work out because he didn't get the reps that he need to develop anything else other than his running ability, then that's on him. I mean, you can't really put any, uh, this is kind of like a disclaimer for any upcoming game that Garrett plays in. If he does have a bad game, you can't criticize him and say, well, he's not the quarterback of the future. We're done with him. Neil was right. Um, you have to put this squarely on Neil. Again, the coaches who didn't give him the reps he needed or the confidence that he needed or um, develop him in the way that he needed to develop in order to be more than just a runner. Cause that day is going to come. Um, so just trying to get ahead of it here because you know I do believe in Garrett green. I do think that he could be, a solid quarterback for us in the future. But again, it's just something you have to give a chance on him. And um, the coaching staff has not yet done that. Yeah. Yeah. And these last two games will tell us a lot about all these questions, which it makes me really look forward to Saturday. Um, And I hope Neil makes the right decision because if he just trots out the same unit that's been playing all year, that's not going to really tell us a lot. And I get it. Neil Brown's playing for that bowl game, possibly for his job, but uh He's got to switch it up, as we saw last week. He switched it up, and it worked, you know, Um, which all leads us to this. After a very solid win against Oklahoma, is Neil Brown still on the hot seat? What do you think? Yes. I mean, it's the worst Oklahoma team that we have seen in at least 10 years, maybe 20 years. Um, We were at home. This was the perfect situation for us to get that win. 
And we really had to do everything that Neil Brown does not want us to do offensively in order to win the game. So um, this wasn't a win because of Neil Brown. I think it was a win in spite of Neil Brown, Um, you know, without kind of rewatching the game. um, It seemed like the players played harder when green was out there. There was, you know, a little bit more pep in your step because the ball was moving and that frustration was a little bit washed away. Um, And even if Neil somehow does manage to win out, um, and get into a bowl game, I still don't think that's him another year. You know, again, it's still year four. He still had the Neil Brown certified no-show games multiple times this year on the road. Um, he still hasn't shown the ability to develop develop players. He's still surrounding himself with yes men. And he had the opportunity this offseason to, you know, not only with the Graham Harrower, but go in there and make changes across the board to get people in there with differing voices to make him a better coach and make the players better. And he chose not to do that. He chose to stick with his buddies. And, you know, you, regardless of what anyone thinks out there, I don't think an AD is going to come in, kind of look at the past four years, look at the coaching staffs, look at the, the, the starters that he's chosen, look at how poorly he's underperformed and then flip the page over and see the recruiting classes he's brought in and say, okay, well, I see the reason to keep him. I have a feeling that, you know, the AD because the AD is going to have some sort of personality is going to say, okay, this is a perfect reason to let him go. I don't even need to talk to him. He's gone. And I don't think anyone should be outraged by that because Neil has earned that Neil has earned his job being on the hot seat and Neil has earned um, to be released into the free agency and see where he ends up next. I'm with you. Yeah. He's still on the hot seat, obviously. I mean, it was, this is a five and five Oklahoma team. You know, this isn't the, Oklahoma's of yesteryear um so yeah it was an exciting win but remember we got really excited after the Baylor win too and then he rips off three straight losing games and and you know two horrible performances against Tech and Iowa State so um yeah let's not get too excited now if he wins out makes it to a bowl game and plays well you know the team plays well in the bowl game I could see Neil buying himself another year and and there would be an argument for it then but uh, that's saying a lot. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens Saturday and the week after. So, yeah, yeah I, I don't think he's on the hot seat for sure. I could see if he wins out, goes seven and six, I could see a new AD saying, all right, I'll give you next year, see what happens. But anything less than that, um, I, yeah, I think a new AD is going to say, I, I want to bring in my own guy and and I'll roll the dice with the guy I pick. Yeah, and I think, you know, for the fans who like, like myself are just sick of Neil Brown and kind of feel like regardless of what he does and what he finishes out with, because even if he does finish in seven, six, I'm done with him. I mean, I'm not going to be amped up for the WVU season knowing Neil Brown's going to trot across the field, leading us out against Penn state to get slaughtered. Um, But, you know, I, I think it's important to continue voicing your opinions about Neil Brown on social media so that any new athletic director sees it you know, and and make sure that they're aware and, you know, that you don't want Neil Brown because this is the time to do it. It's not necessarily whenever, you know, you don't go out there and make a scene when Neil's on the field, but, you know, you make sure that your voice is heard at the games or you're not necessarily at the games, but like, you know, on on Twitter or whatever, because I, I don't think, I think we've seen what Neil Brown is going to do here and what he's willing to do. And we've kind of seen his true colors come out a little bit more during these past four or five weeks where, you know, you can tell his tones change. You can tell the things that he said um, 
you know, again with Garrett Green, but also the things about um, the negativity on Twitter and how it's affecting his recruiting, which isn't true at all. Um, the performance on the field is what's affecting recruiting. Um, and he can, you know, tell himself whatever he needs to to sleep well at night, but he needs to keep it in between his own four walls instead of putting it out there for the public to hear because it's just going to divide us and it, w- it shouldn't be dividing us. I think that statement right there is kind of another thing that kind of pushed me way over the edge with Neil is just, you know, you, you got to stop misplacing blame. You got to take the blame and you got to fix it. And over four years, he hasn't shown the ability to, to do it. So unless Neil Brown somehow, some way figures out a way to get the top 25 you know, high school kids to walk on campus next year and say, okay, this is our team. We're going to win with the best talent in the nation. Then, you know, there's no reason to bring them back. You know, if you want to be a great recruiter, then be a great recruiter and bring in the top talent, but that's never going to happen at WVU. So we shouldn't even entertain it. Yeah. The biggest thing you want to see in a head coach is accountability. So when he's Mm -hmm. starting to point the fingers and and blame other people for why stuff's happening, I mean, instantly you're going to lose your audience. So, um, yeah, that's definitely the wrong move for him to make. And the the, really the last question I wanted to ask you about all of this Neil Brown talk is defensive coordinator Jordan Leslie has had some really solid performances lately. His defense played well in the second half against TCU. They played well against Iowa State for almost the entire game until WVU's lack of offense just finally caught up with them. And they against. So here's my question: If for whatever reason Neil Brown's coming back next year with this new AD, maybe they're giving him one more year. Um, do you bring Leslie back since he's he's really closing out the year? He's solid. And if you do bring Jordan Leslie back, that means you're not changes on the coaching staff and if you're just coming back with the same coaching staff next year you know can you really improve that much so it's a two-parter would you bring Les back if he continues and just a recipe for disaster because then nothing i wouldn't just because i think leslie's too close to neil brown now if we brought in another head coach and they wanted to bring back jordan leslie i'd be all for it but You know, I feel like between Neil Brown and a lot of the people on his staff, Jordan Leslie, Shadon Brown, you know, Sean Reagan, um, et cetera, he he just has a bunch of guys who are Matt Moore is another one who, who he's really close with, who's worked for a long time. And whenever you work with someone for such a long time, you, you, especially in kind of in a subordinate role, you kind of just, you know, can submit to them in certain things. And I, I feel like Jordan Leslie, I think you can kind of tell at the beginning of the season where, you know, he wasn't doing what he was doing in years past. And I'm not exactly sure if that was his choice or if Neil was kind of chiming in on the game planning with it. But after the success that we had um, against TCU, where we were blitzing more, um, we started pre- you know, doing better defensively and Leslie started kind of changing his defensive scheme. So I don't know if it was just, you know, Neil kind of saying this is working so you can do what you want now or what it was. But I think that keep on keeping Neil Brown and Jordan Leslie together is something that I don't think is good for either party. Um, I think if you let Jordan Leslie coach how he wants to without kind of any input from anyone else, 
that's where I would feel the most confident in having him as defense coordinator. I do think he's a smart defensive coordinator. I do think that he's a good coach, but um, just from what I've seen with Neil over the past four years, I, I just think that he rubs off on people and makes them worse, whether it's players or other coaches or whatnot. It's just a, a giant shadow that looms over an entire program. And um, I don't know if that's necessarily the way he wants to run it or if that's just because he's failing and he doesn't know any other way to fix the situation than to try to grab for more control. So, um, you know, short answer is no. Um, and if they do bring him back in that capacity to the same point that I said, um, it's not going to go well just because I, I think Neil, if they would bring him back needs detractors, someone who's going to challenge him and honestly make them better. You know, that's the only way you get better is if someone tells you that you did something wrong and tells you how to fix it or gives you a differing opinion. If you just sit in an echo chamber all the time, you're never going to think that you're wrong. And I think Neil right now with the staff that he's chosen is in kind of an echo chamber. I think I'm the exact opposite. I say if Brown comes back, I be open to a Jordan Leslie return. If he keeps this up, I mean, he's still got two more games. If they get in these, it's an agreement he has to go but if they bring in head coach i i don't know if i would be real open about jordan leslie still being here i, I think i would want a new fresh from everything you know maybe i'd be open to graham harrell but um yeah i i think i would want a new defensive coordinator with a new head coach but um you're really it's it seems like jordan leslie has a philosophy Worked. I mean, if you send Brett pressure, get pressure on his quarterback, PVU's defense has a solid day. But for whatever reason, several games where he's just cushioning these receivers five, ten yards, no contact, and gets eaten up. And then the next game, you see him blitz more aggressive. Obviously, you change game plans for opponents. It just doesn't make you even see this on the offensive side of the ball with JT Daniels in there. You hardly see any motion in our offense for whatever reason. As soon as Garrett Green was in in the second half, there was motion all over the place. With JT there, I mean, you don't have to be running options motion. Um, so yeah, I, I I'm kind of with you. Is this all Neil Brown's doing? Not wanting a lot of motion, not wanting a lot of blitzing on defense, or are these? Are, are these coordinators Jekyll and Hyde? Like, I don't understand how it's right there. It's working. But then they switch their philosophy, um, you know, the next series. And I think this all goes back to what we were putting out there on social media. Saturday, to me, WVU has had the players to win ball games. I, um, so I think you can get rid of the excuse that, yeah, the players aren't just good enough. The coaching's fine, but the players just simply aren't good enough. I think that's out the window after Saturday. I, I think the coaching staff has let these players down by just setting them fail a lot of this time. You know, this team, the one I saw on Saturday, should have easily won six or seven games this year. And that's not even saying a lot. That's, I mean, that's 500. You know, the coaching staff, I think, just put their players in positions to fail a lot of the time this year. Yeah, yeah, I mean... There's no other way to kind of explain it. I mean, I think if you look at from offensive line, bringing back five starters, bringing in a veteran quarterback, having a 
one of the deepest running back rooms that we've had in a long time. Um, having two rec- having two receivers on the outside who are capable of winning 50-50 balls, one of them being a sophomore who has the athletic ability to kind of do anything and allows you to kind of open up the playbook in ways that we haven't seen since maybe like Kevin White. Um, and having Sam James, who's a you know fifth-year senior who can really get vertical and may not have the greatest hands but can really stretch the field and give you opportunities there. Offensively, we should have been averaging 30 points a game like we had been um, early in the season. And there's really no reason for that other than kind of coaches holding us back. I mean, all the ingredients offensively added up to something that we could have a really, really productive offense. I mean, similar to, you know, um, the Will Greer senior year, where I think we we have similar amount of talent as that team does. I mean, maybe we don't have a David Sills, but who knows what Bryce Ford Wheaton or Caden Prather could have done in that Dana Holgerson offense. Maybe those guys would have been as good or not better than David Sills, because athletically, I think they're probably superior. Um, You know, and then you look at the defense, obviously not the greatest unit in the back end, but we have a really, really deep linebacking core. And to your point, you know, Jordan Leslie has always been great at, you know, kind of playing tight, blitzing, taking away space from the offense. And it's been super successful for him in the past years. And this year we just stopped doing that. And I get, not having Charles Woods hurts a lot, but you know, just doing a complete three or one eighty on his normal play style, you know, it, it just doesn't make sense. And you know, I said that being the season seven wins was kind of my floor, and um, you know, it, it just seems like there were ways that coaches could have came in here and got us to seven wins without even, you know, breaking a sweat. And it's taken. I mean, we could still hit seven wins if we went out and win a bowl, but. I mean, it's been extremely stressful and hard to watch at times. And I think that's the big difference between Neil Brown is, is if he does get the seven wins, are those seven wins and the six losses that he got equal to the way that someone else would have done it. And I think even if he does somehow luck his way into seven and six, the way he's lost those six games and the way he's won those seven are really important to take into your decision on whether you want to keep Neil Brown or not. Yeah, well, I mean, if he could knock off a number 19 this Saturday, that would go a long way. Because if you look at our, well, we got four wins this year. I mean, none of the teams are impressive. You got Townsend, Virginia Tech, who's under 500. I forget what Baylor's record is, but it's right around 500. And Oklahoma is 500. So no I think they're six signature wins. Who, uh, Baylor? They're six and four? I think they're six and three. Three, they've only played nine games. They just got shellacked last week by the team we're about to talk about. Um, But you brought up Charles Woods. I think this is worth mentioning. Do you know how many games Charles Woods has played in so far this year? Four. Four, which is the (laughs) max you can play and still get redshirted. And if you noticed why he was out this past week, it was due to an illness and the uh, leg injury still lingering. So, um, or the ankle, whatever it was. So I wonder if they sit him out these next two games so that Charles Woods can come back next year. Because as we know, much like JT Daniels, Charles Woods wants to go to the NFL and he hasn't really been able to show off this year. So maybe he's coming back next year to really up his draft stock. So that's something to look out for. So what is Baylor? Six and four. 
Six and four. So there you go. We have beaten one team with a winning record. <laughs> and by the end of the year, they could be under 500. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll end this uh, bitch session here because, I mean, that's all the stuff we really did need to vent about. I mean, it, 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 there's just a lot of things to question right now. But with the firing of Shane Lyons, it, it seems like maybe this program is moving in the right direction, but let's look towards Saturday. And for this segment, I'm going to lean heavily on Brandon. I normally do a lot of research prior to these podcasts, um, but just to break down the wall a little bit for the audience, my grandmother passed away today, so I didn't get a ton of time to do research. Uh, rest in peace, Graham. Love you, miss you. But I uh, um, apologize to the listeners in advance. I didn't get a ton of info on K-State. But um, so I'll, I'll, I'll defer to Brandon a lot. Let's get into it. What West Virginia takes on 19th ranked Kansas State this Saturday. The last time I looked, the Mountaineers are seven and a half point underdogs at home, which isn't surprising. K-State is seven and three. WVU is just four and six. But this is a game WVU needs to win to be bowl eligible. So what are your thoughts on the game? You know, I definitely think this is a really bad matchup for WVU because K-State is a team that just plays really good, sound football. They will beat you if you make mistakes, and that's kind of always been K-State's MO. You know, they play smart, they play efficient, they're not going to shoot themselves in the foot, and they're really well coached. And that hasn't changed in the transition from Snyder to Kleeman. Um and obviously, Kleeman had great success whenever he was at, what was it, North Dakota or South Dakota? One of the directional Dakotas. North Dakota. Um, <laughs> North Dakota. And he had really a lot of success there. So um, this program is no different. And while they will be without Adrian Martinez, who has been really good for them um, this year, they still are going to have a really quality player at quarterback for them and Will Howard, who we'll talk about here in a little bit. So... Um, this is a game that, you know, I think, you know, just like last year, WVU had the opportunity to hang in there with them and have a chance to win, but mistakes and lack of discipline really shot them in the foot. And, and even though that we will be in Morgantown for this game, I really don't see that outcome being too much different because K-State's one of those teams that travels well. Um, K-State only has, uh, actually they have no losses on the road this year. Um, they have won all of their road games, which is very impressive, um, considering they lost to Tulane at home, but they have beaten everyone else on the road. So, um, you know, this is this is going to be a game where WU's have to go out there and play close to perfect, because if you go out there and you start slow, if you start off like you did against Oklahoma, where your offense is just sputtering, K-State's offense isn't going to sputter. They're going to produce points. Um, and if you have to wait to the late second quarter to get your first touchdown, you might already be down two or three scores. So um, that's my thoughts at a high level. Do you want to um, dig into the offense? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, K-State's on a roll. They just thumped Baylor last week, 31-3. to um, And Adrian Martinez got hurt early in that contest. So that could have been an easy one that they let get close or maybe even lost. But uh, no, they won by 28 points. Junior Will Howard came in, and he had a huge game, passing nearly – 200 yards, which, yeah, isn't super impressive, but he had three touchdowns. Um, and, of course, they have Deuce Vaughn, who put a beating on WVU last year, and he's already got over a 1,000 rushing yards. He's used heavily in their passing game. 
And I'm sure we'll see a healthy dose of him Saturday. He has averaged 22 carries per game over these last three games. So I wouldn't be shocked if, um, you know, he's somewhere up in the 20s as well against WVU. And um, I think that's why they travel so well. They 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 just have um, a philosophy that does travel well. You run the ball good. You take care of the ball. You play tight defense. And really, that works in any weather and in any environment. Uh, so it will be interesting. Um, what I didn't get to do a lot is dive into their defense. Um, but just on the surface, looking at where they're ranked, their defense is incredible. They don't allow a lot of points. And like we talked about earlier, um, Oklahoma versus Garrett Green with no film study. K-State, without a doubt, is going to prepare for Garrett Green to be in there. Um, bare minimum, half this game, if not from start to finish. And so um, it, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how Garrett Green can succeed, not only against a good defense, but a defense that's going to be ready for him. Yeah, and, and you know, this defense is, is really, really good. Um, and it's not good in the way where it's just dominant because they have a whole bunch of great players. They just play really well as a unit. Um, they have right now uh, three games so far this year where they have allowed more than 30 points. In those contests, they are one and two. Um, the only game that they won was against Oklahoma. But in every other contest, they have held teams under 30 points. The only other team that came close was Texas Tech, who scored 28, and te- and uh, K-State beat them by nine. Um, so this is, you know, K-State is going to make your life difficult on defense. And part of that is around their secondary. They have three really quality guys back there, two good corners and a safety who have really good coverage grades on PFF. Um, And they also have, I'm going to butcher this name, Felix Enudike Uzoma. I know we said this last year because he was great last year and he is great again this year. Um, I'm just going to say Uzoma from here on out. That way you guys know. But he has 34 total pressures, seven sacks this year, picking up where he left off last year. And I have seen some mock draft experts say he is a first-round draft pick or a second-round draft pick. Um, he is a very, very good athlete, and he is someone who could give you real fits there. So when you combine someone like him, um, who is just a terror in the pass rush, with a really good secondary, you're really able to neutralize some Big 12 offenses. And we've seen that so far this season with the way that you combine people who are good in coverage with someone who can wreak havoc in the backfield. Um, in the run game, they have a couple really solid players. Um, they have a really good defensive tackle. Um, and their leading tackler is actually um, Austin Moore, who actually grades out really well as a run defender as well. So um, they're just really solid across the board. They really don't have a weak spot that you can that you can attack. Um, you know, some of their guys in the secondary don't necessarily grade out that well. But, um, you know, it's better to have three pretty rock solid good guys and a couple eh guys than having what WVU has and K-State really has a scheme that works out for them. Obviously their defense has been lights out for the most part this year. And um, you know, they've really put the beat down on some pretty solid big 12 teams. We just talked about Baylor, but they also beat Oklahoma state. What was it? 48, nothing a few weeks ago. Um, This is a team that if you just can't, get it going, they have no problem piling on and keeping your, your head down in the dirt. So um, I'm not sure what 
WVU's answer is going to be. Is Garrett Green going to be the answer? Um, I don't know. And it'll be interesting to see what K-State comes up with to try to neutralize the potential threat of Garrett Green coming into this game. Yeah, and I hope Neil doesn't give up on Garrett early if he does get the nod, because like you said, K-State can, you know, get up on you early and then it's hard to come back. I I hope he doesn't get like two drives and then if they're not successful, we go right back to JT. And that's not to say I'm totally against JT getting back in there um, if it's just not working, but I hope Garrett at least gets a fair shake before, you know, we break the emergency glass and go back to JT. And I don't even think necessarily right now is the right time to go back to JT. I mean, you know, as much as I, I I still like JT and I would love to have him back next year and be the starter, you know, there's just something going on with him. And, you know, he's just not the same quarterback as we saw week one. So it, it, even if Garrett can't get it going, I wouldn't mind seeing, you know, Goose out there or, you know, Nico, if you wanted to go that route, um, just because, you know, it's a good chance to see what you have and, you know, I, I think they all can kind of do different things. I think Nico kind of has shown that he's a gamer, um, which is something you really can't buy. I think Goose might be the best arm-wise on the team. I think, you know, arm strength, he just really, really can throw a nice ball. Um, Garrett, obviously the most athletic. And I think, you know, when you look at JT on paper, he he's probably the most cerebral quarterback out there, really making good, quick decisions when he's on his game. But you know, again, we don't know what it is because JT won't say anything. And Neil Brown seems to be oblivious to what's going on with JT. Um, so, you know, I just don't think it makes sense to trot him out there because even if JT says he can play, um, there's something going on with him, whether it's mental or physical, that is holding him back and is honestly hurting him. You know, for someone who wanted to go pro after a year, you, you can't you can't just put yourself out there and keep on making yourself look worse. Sometimes it's better just to call it quits and say, you know what? I got this going on. I can't finish the season or have a coach do that. That's what leadership is. Yeah. Yeah. To me, that's coaching. Cause you know, I, I, I'm sure in JT's mind, he doesn't want to admit it cause he's already got the label. So, um, mm-hmm. but anyways, moving on to a couple more football notes before we go to basketball. Real quick, I wanted to talk about um, James Gemitter. I just thought about that. I don't even have it in my notes. But um, did you see he he announced he officially retired from football um, yeah. due to his injuries? Uh, great guy. I mean, he, he was a good football player when he was healthy. Um, it's a shame that's the way his career ended. And then, of course, his mother suddenly passing away just a few weeks ago. Um, just really feel for the guy. I- I'm, I'm upset for him that that's the way his career ended. But definitely wanted to give James Committer a shout out because um, he was definitely a fan favorite. And um, I wish his career could end ended a different way. Yeah, definitely. It's been a really rough few months for him. And, um, you know, my, my thoughts are with him and his family just because that's, you know, all that things rolled into one is, is tough. Um, I've read rumors. I don't know if it's any, if there's any truth to it, but he's actually going to be joining the police Academy and um, try to be like a, a police officer in Morgantown. So that'll be nice, but um, I don't know. That's just a Twitter rumor. Don't know if there's any weight to that, but just wanted to throw it out there in case that's the route he ends up going because uh, you know, I don't know if I would want someone that big, um and nasty looking to to walk up on me after I've spent the night on the town. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I heard that on Sportsline as well. So I'm sure those rumors are 
accurate and good for him. I- I'm glad he's got, you know, a career path already lined up. Cause as we know, sometimes athletes um, don't know what to do after sports. Seems like he's got um, a good head on his shoulders and uh, obviously everyone's rooting for him. Um, seems like he's got good character and um, you know, people with good character typically come out stronger when they go through rough patches like this. So um, hoping nothing but the best for James Gemitter. Um, but to round out the football, we have two guys who actually announced just today that they are transferring. Mumu Ben-Wahad and Corbin Page announced they'll be transferring from WVU. Page was a West Virginia boy. He was a true freshman this year. Um, he, he played tight end, but he didn't see any playing time this year. I'm sure most fans aren't even real familiar with the name. Me and Brandon are because I re- I remember talking about him on the podcast last year when he announced that he was coming to WVU. And he I believe he played wide receiver in high school, but um, we knew that they were going to use him at tight end because he had a good build. Um, I don't think anyone expected him to come here and, you know, light up the stat sheet. But we we did like the potential of, um, you know, his size and his build to maybe make an impact. But um, sounds like it's not in the cards for Corbin Page. So what do you think about his announcement? Yeah, I, I was really disappointed because he's someone who I really thought could have helped out this year, especially with uh, um, I forget who transferred TJ Banks transferring out on um, the uncertain health of Michael Laughlin. Um, and we could have really used the additional help at tight end this year. I mean, we were playing with Brian Polanday and uh, Traylon Davis. And outside of that, I mean, we've been looking for someone to do anything. Um, and coming out of high school, it seemed like Corbin Page was someone who was a good blocker. I know he was recruited by other schools to actually move to offensive line because of his blocking skills. Um, obviously showed the soft hands playing wide receiver. Um, I thought, you know, he was someone who could have came in, but it seemed like he has not been with the program actually for several weeks, if not months, um, which is just really baffling. I heard that he came to camp underweight. He came in at like 210, um, which is way too light for a tight end. Um, So I don't know what's going on with him. I was really excited for him because, you know, not necessarily thinking that he was going to be like a Rob Gronkowski, but just having a, a tight end that we can put into the rotation. We badly needed it. And I thought the, opportunity was there but it just doesn't seem like it was made to be um you know i hope he can figure it out and end up somewhere um that works out for him because i do think that he has the athletic abilities and the talents to be a really solid tight end in college football so um very disappointed that we couldn't keep him around especially since he's a west virginia kid and uh wish him the best moving forward yeah like you said he hasn't been with the team and um for a few weeks now. And I'm sure that's because he was just waiting for that uh, transfer transfer window to open up with the new rules. Um, but yeah, you mentioned Poland day and Davis. They, they actually had really good games against Oklahoma opening up lanes. So shout out to them, but they have had some rough patches. Um, and uh, yeah, we could have used an extra body out there at tight end, but um, yeah, you mentioned him being underweight. Chances are he's going to transfer out to a smaller school to get more playing time. So can't blame them there. You only get four years in college. You, you might as well go somewhere where you're going to get some playing mm-hmm. time before your football career is over. Um, but we also mentioned Mumu Ben-Wahad, which was probably the bigger news. He's a true freshman defensive back, played in four games this year, just like we mentioned earlier. So that means he can still redshirt. Um, 
and and he's transferring out. I mean, this isn't like super disappointing news, but it's definitely more disappointing than Corbin Page because Mumu was a guy who was talked about um, after the spring game all see, all off season, and we thought maybe he could um, he could actually be a starter here in Morgantown. And so, out of the two, this one is definitely the one that's uh, most disappointing. Yeah, I mean. Coming out of high school, he was actually supposed to be the best in man coverage in our recruiting class. Um, and it was just kind of strange how they handled him. I know they moved him to safety, um, which is kind of strange for someone who's more of a cover guy um, instead of playing him at corner, which we really, really needed. Um, I felt like there was a lot of opportunity, and we have said this numerous times throughout the last few podcasts, is, you know, where are the young guys, um, especially when we have talent out there you know how bad can they be and we never really got a real good shot at, at mumu um we saw a decent amount of jacoby spells um it's gonna be interesting to see what happens with him i'm hoping he sticks around because he's supposed to have a lot of uh, talent as well even though his freshman year didn't go so hot but mumu was another guy who you know if you would talk to any diehard wvu fan about who their sleeper kind of best player in this recruiting class could be a lot of people said mumu ben Monod, and um you know i'm not a you know, I'm not uh, big on watching um, high school football tapes of, you know, teenagers, but um, I'll take their word for it. Um, so, you know, disappointing just because it seemed like people who know what they're talking about liked him. But um, only time will tell to see how he's going to end up. So we needed bodies in the secondary. So that's why I'm kind of extremely disappointed because I don't want to have to go dipping into, I don't know, some community college somewhere in the Midwest to, to pick up a new starting cornerback this off season, just to see if he's Charles Woods or um, Ajayi. Yeah, I'm with you. And that's probably what they are going to have to do. They're going to have to go to the transfer portal to, to replace Mumu because like you said, we need bodies in the secondary spells. Um, I'm actually really excited for his future. Like you said, he had some rough patches, but I mean, He's a true freshman, and I think all that playing time he got this year is really, really going to help him down the road. And um, he definitely had some flashes of being a really good player as he gets older. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's nothing to really throw your arms up about, but uh, I was a little disappointed when I saw that today. Um, switching gears a little bit, let's go to basketball to, to cap off this podcast. Friday, WVU defeated Pitt 81-56. to the 25-point win was the biggest win over Pitt while in Pittsburgh ever for WVU. I heard Coach Hunter mention that on Sportsline, so credit to him for that info. Um, but this was just a fun game to watch. We're only two games into this season, but this team is fun. They they hustle, they play tough defense, and for, for once, this team actually can make shots. We hear that all the time. We heard that all last year, but this team seems to actually be able to to really light it up. Um, they shot 52%. So what are your thoughts on West Virginia basketball so far? Yeah, I mean, I, I was worried at the beginning of the season about who the number one scorer would be. And while I do think we have someone who could potentially be a kind of go-to guy, what this game showed me is that we have, you know, four or five complementary scores, guys who can just, you know, take turns, taking baskets, aren't selfish. We'll move the ball, you know, let, let, let other guys get opportunities. And, you know, I feel confident with that. And, you know, that's great to have because you don't necessarily need one guy who can score 20. If you have 
four guys who can score eight or 10, that's just as good sometimes because it makes it harder for the defense. And I think we have that. On top of that, we still have guys who are really good defenders and we still have some big men who are really, really, you know, tough to play against. I mean, obviously Bell and Waggy um, need to stay out of foul trouble, but we still have more bodies down there too that can um, log some minutes if we need to. Um, Waggy was great. Um, obviously five for five, four rebounds, but you want to see him stay out of foul trouble because I think that he is our most talented big man. Um, but you know, I, I think again, like I said, in the, I think I said after the first game, you know, I'm really excited for the future of Trey Mitchell. I think he's someone who, as he gets hundred percent is going to be, um, our best offensive player. Cause he just makes it look effortless on offense. So I'm really excited for him as well. I'm with you. Yeah. The biggest thing that stuck out to me, um, this team can score in transition and they can rebound. And that's, that's two things that last year's team just really seemed to lack. Um, but like you said, they're, they're getting contributions from everybody. Uh, Wagi looked like the real deal. He could score inside. He can rebound. Stevenson looks like a bona fide shooter right now. He's shooting 61% on the season and yeah. Wow. Yeah, I know. I couldn't even believe that. Obviously, he can't keep up that pace, but, um, you know, he, he looks like a, a sure scorer so far. Troussant not only looks like a lockdown guard, but he had a team high 18 points against Pitt. So that's good that he can also chip in with the points. Matthews had another. What's that? Five assists, too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he just looks like a solid point guard. Matthews had another double digit night. Um, this team just has it. That's all I can say. You know, they, they are a team. It's not like they're just leaning on Taz or Neil to score like last year's team. They, they're a whole team. They get scoring from all over. They don't have to rely on one or two guys. Um, you know, I just can't say enough about this team and I'm trying not to get too excited because they beat two teams that, you know, probably aren't going to end the season with winning records. But um, so far, I mean, this team just has the it factor. Yeah. And I, I like that we're seeing all these veteran players play and Huggins is still finding a way to get some of these younger guys minutes too. Um, you know, you, Kobe still had 18 minutes. Uh, Seth had 11. Okonkwu had nine. Um, so, you know, it's not like these guys are getting pushed to the end of the bench just because we got all this new talent and they're still Huggins is still working his way in. And I think, you know, there's gonna be times where you see him play more minutes. So, um, I like that because we just have a lot of seniors this year and it'll be great for developing the future to keep these young guys, um, you know, progressing. I'm with you. Yeah. And just to give you a quick rundown of who's up next, West Virginia has Moorhead state on Tuesday. Pennsylvania on Friday and it's not like you know these are scary opponents Moorhead State's two and one Penn is oh and three um however you know they do need to take care of business because for WVU to have any chance of making the tournament this season um you know they need to make easy work of these early games pad the resume a little bit uh plus you know it's good to have these opponents early for West Virginia that they, you know, should be able to beat because this is a team who, you know, needs to work out the kinks, needs to learn how to mesh together, even though they look great those first two games. 
I'm, I'm glad we had these opponents to really get us ready for not only the Big 12. I think they have like Auburn and some other teams that you really need to be worried about coming up soon. Yeah, I, Auburn is in January, but we do play. Oh, is it that far out? Yeah, we play Purdue though um, on the 24th, so 10 days out. That's what Xavier I was Xavier on the 3rd. Um, and then just looking through the schedule, UAB, who was a tough team last year on the 10th. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, I, I know, you know, you see Moorhead State on the schedule. You don't really get up for that. But um, like we said, those games are important, whether whether you know it or not, because that's going to help you win against some of those big games down the road. Absolutely. Yeah. I think this is going to be a fun team to watch. I really hope that um, they can continue this going into big 12 play, because I, I do think that this is a, it seems like it's a team that Huggins likes to coach and that can go a long way. Yeah, I agree. He even looks like he's having fun out there sometimes with these games, which <laughs> honestly, I can't say, I can't think of one game last year where I thought, Hey, Huggy Bear looks like he's having fun over there on the bench. <laughs> But um, just to, just to kind of round this off, I'm sure everyone saw it, but there was an NFL game in Germany over the weekend. I believe it was Tampa Bay versus the Seahawks. And um, very famously, it, it went viral. They they broke out and singing Country Roads. Um, and I've heard this for years. Germany loves the song Country Roads. I, I, I have no idea why. I love it though. I I think that's such a cool moment, especially for guys like Geno Smith and Bruce Irvin who were there playing. And then all of a sudden you just hear, you know, that song that probably brings back so many good memories for them. So um, yeah, I just wanted to mention that. I thought that was really neat. Yeah, that's very cool. I mean, um, you know, we don't get to hear it enough uh, here at WVU with Neil Brown as head coach. So I like hearing it. Some someone else getting to sing it, enjoy it. So, I uh, just had to end uh, my thoughts with another jab at Neil Brown because he needs to be fired. <laughs> <laughs> I I heard someone say this. I don't know if it's true or not, but apparently, "Country Roads," you know, of course, is an American song by John Denver, is the most popular American song of all time in Europe. I don't know if that's really? true or not. I didn't do my research. But um, one funny thing to end this podcast is before we became the voice of Motown podcast, we our first three episodes we ever did, um, me and Brandon called ourselves Q Country Roads podcast, and we get our demographics. And one of the weird things was we had one listener from Germany in one of those first three episodes. And what we assumed was some guy in Germany was... <laughs> on Spotify or something looking for John Denver's country roads. And, and he got these two idiots talking about West Virginia. <laughs> so when I saw, uh, you know, that video going viral with Germany singing it, that's one of the first things I thought of like, Oh, Hey, someone in that stands probably heard our podcast last year. <laughs> uh, too bad. He didn't, wasn't a long time listener. We just yeah, that's right. Yeah, he, he bailed out. No, we don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Hey, thanks for listening. Uh, we'll record again next week. And as always, let's go Mountaineers. Yeah, let's go. Thanks, everyone.